0: Hello and welcome to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine broadcasting from the sanctuary for independent media in Troy, New York, on the unceded homelands of the Mohican people known today as the Stockbridge Muncie community. I'm Sina Pazila Hickey.
1: And I'm Kaelin McPherson. Today on the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, we first get a report from the state capitol where a press conference was held about the proposed Packaging and Reduction and Recycling Infrastructure Act, Mark Dunley reports. Then, Bria Barthel tells us more on a new exhibit coming to the Albany Institute of History and Art. Later on, we hear about the upcoming Spring 2024 season at MPAC. After that, Brad Moncal sat down with Louis Katz about his upcoming show at Lark Street Tavern and his new comedy special. Finally, Tom Francis introduces us, to poet, community leader, and performance artist L. But first, here are the headlines.
0: The Daily Gazette reports that the Schenectady County Metroplex Development Authority has awarded a $154,766 contract to Delta engineers, architects, and land surveyors to oversee the design for plans to extend Alco Heritage Trail and reopen the long-shuttered Alco Tunnel that connects Erie Boulevard and North J Street. The The trail project will cost over $1 million.
1: Nine Democratic governors led by Kathy Hochul have joined together to urge the Biden administration in Congress to address what they call a humanitarian crisis created by the surge of migrants seeking refuge. They want the federal government to overhaul the immigration system, including relieving the pressure on the southern and northern borders, as well as more funds for the states.
0: Nearly three years after marijuana was legalized, the state, New York State, is finally establishing rules to let anyone 21 years or older grow up to six plants. The new rules will also allow retail marijuana stores to sell starter plants to customers.
1: Governor Hoko's proposed budget includes an increase in short-term disability benefits beginning next year for the first time since 1989. Although her proposal is less than what lawmakers have been proposing... Temporary disability leave, which is offered to non-government workers who have been in their job at least a month, allows employees experiencing a physical disability, mental health problem, or an illness to take up to 26 weeks per year with pay.
0: A Washington County jury deliberated for just two hours before finding Kevin Moynihan guilty of murder in the second degree in the driveway shooting death of 20-year-old Kaylin Gillis, outside his rural Huron home. Moynihan faces 25 years to life in state prison.
1: And that's it for your headlines.
0: For those of you just tuning in, you're listening to Hudson Mohawk Magazine, listener-supported radio that builds community in Troy and the surrounding capital region through broad grassroots participation.
1: Our content is produced by volunteers. To learn how you can contribute, go to mediasanctuary.org. Email us at hmm at mediasanctuary.org or call 518-272-2390.
0: On January 18th at the state capitol, a press conference was held to urge lawmakers to pass the State Package Reduction and Recycling Infrastructure Act. Mark Dunley was there to tell us more.
2: On Thursday, January 18th, State lawmakers and advocates held a news conference calling for the adoption of the State Packaging Reduction and Recycling Infrastructure Act. The bill will reduce plastic packaging by 50% over 12 years to dramatically reduce waste, improve recyclability of packaging and slash greenhouse gas emissions associated with plastic, which are currently on track to outpace the emissions from coal by 2030. In part two of our coverage, we hear from Judith Anke of Beyond Plastic, who among many other things is my wife, as well as the responses by her and Senator harkum one of the bill lead sponsors, to questions from reporters.
3: Environmental advocates and over 200 organizations have signed on to a memo of support that we're releasing today. It includes support from local governments, I want to put a little bit of a finer point on the issue of New York City exporting waste. Mayor Adams announced uh, his budget uh, just two days ago, and he's proposing $477 million to send waste outside of the city. Understandably, there are no landfills or incinerators in New York City. This means diesel trucks barreling up the thruway going to the Finger Lakes to have waste landfilled. It means trucks going to the Covanta garbage incinerator in Newark, an environmental justice community in the Arendelle section of Newark, where waste is burned. We all grew up understanding reduce, reuse, recycle. This bill gets us to reduce and reuse, and it is really important that it is adopted this year. I'm going to go into some of the details, why it's important, but I Before I share words, I just wanna share a visual with you. What does this mean? What does waste reduction mean? Well, we have a colleague at Environmental Advocates who ordered a package through this little mom and pop company that starts with A. It arrived in this envelope, and then this envelope, and then this envelope, and then (laughs) finally, this little packaging For her eco-highlighters that she ordered for her children, she wanted the children to use wood highlighters rather than plastic highlighters. And for that little package, we get all of this. So what does this bill mean? It means probably one package. And maybe Amazon will follow FedEx in using cardboard rather than plastic. This also means a lot less waste. That taxpayers have to pay for for disposal or recycling. The United States has become the top generator of plastic in the country. And that's not because you and I vote for more plastic, it's because plastic has always been made from oil and chemicals. Now it's made from chemicals and ethane, a byproduct of hydrofracking. So you can draw a direct line between the increase in fracked gas and the increase in plastic. We have to pass this bill this year to save tax dollars, to also save our ocean. Plastic litter goes into rivers and streams, gets into the ocean. Scientists tell us that unless the status quo changes, by 2025, for every three pounds of fish in the ocean, there's one pound of plastic. So it's an ocean issue. It's a climate issue. Beyond Plastics did a report looking at greenhouse gases from production, use, and disposal of plastic. Plastics will exceed greenhouse gases from coal-fired power plants by 2030. Uh, in New York, 12% of greenhouse gas emissions are related to waste. Plastic recycling doesn't work. It's not just des- plastics are not designed to be recycled. Keep recycling your cardboard, your paper, your metal, your glass. But a 5 to 6% recycling rate for plastics is abysmal. And we need to recognize that even though plastic companies lie to us and tell us you can recycle in your recycling bin, most plastic is not recyclable. Now the plastics and chemical industry and fossil fuel companies are pushing something called chemical recycling, which is terrible. It's high heat of plastics to create new fossil fuel. The last thing we need or there are a couple facilities that are attempting to use um, solvents and chemicals to turn old plastic into new plastic. And a big problem there is it doesn't work, but it generates a tremendous amount of hazardous waste. So we have to make sure that people are not fooled into thinking that chemical recycling is some kind of solution. So this bill very wisely does not allow for so-called chemical recycling to count as recycling. The environmental justice issues here are huge. At Beyond Plastics, we work with allies from Louisiana, Texas, Appalachia, where most plastic is generated and which is making people very, very sick. We're concerned about the transportation of chemicals to make plastics. We're coming up on the one-year anniversary of the East Palestine train derailment in Ohio. The five train cars that were put on fire we're carrying vinyl chloride. Over 99% of vinyl chloride is used to make plastics and has been touched on. This is a health issue. Microplastics are everywhere. They're in the air. They're in drinking water. They're in our bodies. There are scientific papers documenting microplastics in our blood, lungs, breast milk, and the human placenta, both the maternal side and the fetal side. So What are we going to do about this? We're going to pass this bill. When this bill becomes law, it will be transformational. I think this bill is not only the most important environmental bill of the session, I think it's the most important environmental bill of the decade. If we get a strong bill in New York without loopholes that really drives 50% reduction in plastic, other states
4: will
5: follow. So now we've got a question um, from Marie French from Politico.
4: Maybe mostly for Senator Harcum, but if, if any of the advocates want to weigh in, of course, always welcome. Um, Senator, you had mentioned that, you know, there was obviously a legislative hearing and you were going to like consider whether there needed to be any changes um, to the bill based on that feedback that you got. Um, are there any areas that you're that you're looking at for that, and um, or do you feel that given the the support from a you know broad sort of coalition of environmental groups, the bill as it stands is is what should move forward?
6: Uh, Chair Glick and I are are discussing that right now, so I I, I don't want to talk about things that we may we may want to do. I think the important thing is any changes we make, we're not going to negotiate against ourselves. I think it would be things that could enhance the bill as opposed to detract from the bill. Uh, as I said, Chair Glick and I are discussing those. And
5: um, We've got a question from Megan Quinn from Waste Dive. Is it expected that EPR will be included in the governor's budget? Judith, do you want to answer this one? Hi,
3: Megan. Um, I love reading Waste Dive. That's what I do on a Friday night. The governor proposed her budget on Tuesday and there was no packaging proposal in her budget this year. As there was the last two years.
5: And we've got another question. Tracy Tullis from Newsday. Um, are the plastics and f- fossil fuel industries mobilizing to lobby against the bill? Judith, you can take this one too.
3: Yes. This is David versus Goliath on steroids. We are up against fossil fuel lobbyists, chemical company lobbyists, and plastics companies and consumer product packaging companies who unwisely say, don't reduce packaging, you can chemically recycle it. I think this will probably want be one of the most spirited bills um, lobbied on this legislative session. Um, I think it's a big priority for various special interests, maybe not to kill the bill, but to weaken it as much as possible. And we have to make sure that there are no loopholes, unintended consequences, and that's why it's so important that we've got these great sponsors who are in the weeds on the details. Um, So I think this is going to be a super busy session. And the only way we counter this massive industry opposition is with people power. And that's our plan.
2: This has been Mark Dunley for Hudson Mohawk Magazine. To hear the rest of this
1: interview, go to mediasanctuary.org. This is the second part of this press conference coverage.
0: A new exhibit at the Albany Institute of History and Art highlights manuscripts, scrapbooks, and other materials donated by the local Black activist, Neil Stokes. Uh, The display shows her decades of involvement with the NAACP, the Black Women's Association of Albany, and local YWCA and other groups. And Bria Barthel was at the Albany Institute of History and Art to tell us more.
7: This is Bria Barthel for Hudson Mohawk Magazine, and today I'm at the Albany Institute of History and Art to talk with Lacey Wilson, the public historian for their Albany African American History Project, about a new display that went up recently. Lacey, welcome back to Hudson Mohawk Magazine.
8: Thanks for having me back.
7: And uh, your display is based on the collection and history of Nell Stokes, an Albany resident. Can you tell us something about Nell and tell us something about the display?
8: Nell is not originally from Albany. She arrived, uh, the date's on the display, but I want to say like mid-50s, I believe, is when she arrived in Albany. And she had her hands in a lot of local community-involved work, including work at the, working at the YWCA with their youth programming, um, working with local NAACP chapter, and creating the the creative expressions um, which was at when she created it the black American essay contest.
7: Before we started I said that was it interesting working with somebody who was alive as a historian I would imagine that you usually worked with archives and historic documents and you said something that sort of surprised me
8: I think it depends on the kind of history that you're doing. A lot of my work in my career has often been of uh, the 20th and 21st century. I've done a lot of work with oral histories, so I've often worked with people who are still alive. So doing that with Nell was not that different from my other from my other processes cuz previously I've also worked with people who were still alive and were able to give feedback on what I was doing.
7: That's Fascinating. And the exhibit is four display cases near the rear entrance to the Albany Institute. Can you tell us something about what we'll see if we come to the exhibit?
8: Um, If if you enter from the parking lot, you will immediately see um, two pictures, one very large one of Nell with the youth group that she had started at the YWCA, as well as a picture of Nell when she was very young. Um, It's where it's in um, some cases, yes, we call those the library cases, because they're right in front of the library at the Albany Institute. It's about two large ones right underneath those photos, as well as two smaller ones just behind those. Um, And it's essentially an exhibit of her manuscript collection that she gave me after we didn't oral interview it includes a lot of scrapbook photos and pamphlets from the YWCA and pamphlets from the black Women's Association of Albany and um, and a lot of and uh, and things relating to the black American essay contest
7: did you have us given that her involvement with Albany events and activities goes back decades did you have like a time period that you were especially focused on or is it something that's still evolving as she goes to another meeting and sends you new material?
8: I think it had to do with specifically what she gave me in terms of the things that she gave me. It was primarily about the YWCA, primarily about the um, various organizations that she was a part of, including the Black American Women's Association and this essay contest. So based off those, that span that, because that Black and Women's um, Organization started in like the mid-1970s, I believe, or at least the more current iteration. I believe started in the 1970s. Their, um, her involvement in the YWCA started a decade or so, a bit more into her time here in Albany. Um, so it didn't; it wasn't really specific by decade. It was specific by subject in terms of the things that she gave me and that she had available and was willing to give the museum.
7: And that idea of uh, donating collections of scrapbooks and of materials is interesting. Have you been trying to, were you encouraging people to donate? Are you trying to build up the collection? I know you're focused on 20th and 21st century history, which is... You know now?
8: Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say yes. I think that, um, but I, I think my, my prerogative, part of the prerogative of me in this project was getting oral interviews done. And so I was hoping that I could build up trust with communities and with organizations that individual people might want to give me things. And through my conversations with Nell, that turned out to be the case. And that's how I was able to get these in particular.
7: Was there anything this might be a dangerous question to ask, or you might may, may have to be delicate about it. Was there anything that especially interested you or especially caught your attention or surprised you in her collection?
8: I think this essay contest that she created, it still exists. It's called the, um, the Creative Expressions Contest. It's still, I'm, I'm sure they're advertising for students to participate in it right now. It's run by the Delta Sorority. Um, and uh, I think what's particularly fantastic about that is we're currently living in a time in which a lot of history in this country but particularly black history is being legislated against and so when we look at this collection we can see a way that a local woman through her organizational connections was able to find a way to highlight black history specifically um, in Albany.
7: And I know that you're involved with uh, historical organizations and groups and individual historians around the country through various professional organizations. Have you heard any stories of organizations being under attack because of their work with black history?
8: I am friends with quite a few uh, professors in states that have to be very conscious about what they're able to teach and what they're able to promote. Um, I don't have any specific stories relating to that. I'm just a historian who watches the news and is very aware of things in other states that might be legislated against or challenging.
7: Right. Like, we don't want to present slavery as anything other than an advanced uh, scholarship or program.
8: Yeah, I, and I think there is an argument to be made that you have to teach these things in a very specific way for very specific age groups, for sure. But I think that teachers and educators and librarians in particular know how to have those conversations and know how to engage with those with students.
7: And switching a little bit, you said that th- this was a collection that Nell Stokes gave you as you were doing oral interviews. Are there other people that have given you collections that you think might be highlighted in the future?
8: Um, I know the oral interviews are further going to be highlighted once they're on the website in particular. I hope that other people will continue to give things as well that are related to these subjects. I think a lot of the stories that I've been able to get through the oral interviews definitely highlight a lot of really interesting things that have happened in Albany. And I'm hoping that further researchers and community members will find the Institute as a place where they can donate things as well as engage with those stories further.
7: Are there other collections that you've, you've gathered or other um, individuals that you've interviewed that you want to mention for our listeners?
8: Um, let's see. Nell Stokes was the one I got the most stuff from. Um, I had a really good conversation with Archie Goodby, um, who did a lot of work with our local NAACP chapter. I think that's the thing that, uh, that was probably a very rewarding collaboration with me, for, for me, the local NAACP chapter highlighting a lot of their members who they thought really needed to get highlighted. So I interviewed Archie Goodby. I interviewed Ann Pope. I interviewed, um... Uh, There were quite, uh, there was a couple more, but their names are currently escaping me, but they will be on the website, so you'll be able to hear them more then.
7: And speaking of the NAACP, you said that they were helpful in creating this exhibit?
8: Um, Yes, Uh, as well as like advertising too, as well as they were the reason I even knew Nell in the first place. I had created, um, collaborated with them, and they were very interested to Um, have oral interviews from a lot of their senior membership. And that's how I got connected to Nell in particular. The NAACP truly gave me names and said, please go interview these people. And I was happy to do so.
7: That's terrific. And you said that, not just looking back, but looking forward, that the NAACP will be uh, doing an event that's sponsored here on February 24th was it?
8: Yes, we're going to be doing a roundtable interview with some of my interviewees as well as me. I think it, they're going to connect it probably with a bunch of things happening for Black History Month, and perhaps the Black and Puerto Rican Caucus will, I think, also be in the area of that time. I think we we can uh, I can check to see specifically what was said on that, but I believe that that is an event the NAACP is going to be doing on the 24th. Yes, February 24th.
7: And you mentioned uh, getting information on the website. Can you remind us what the website is?
8: Uh, Yeah, it's albanyinstitute.org. So
7: albanyinstitute.org. And there's information there about the other current exhibits going on, the oral interviews that Lacey mentioned. Um, Is there anything else here at the Institute that maybe you were surprised by when you came or that you were delighted to see?
8: I think this is a fascinating museum to have conversations about how the community of Albany has changed and not changed. And I'm hoping that that kind of programming and interest, um, that the audience that wants to ask those questions will be able to ask those questions.
7: Okay. That was Lacey Wilson the public historian for the Albany African-American History Project at the Albany Institute of History and Art, talking about the exhibit of materials donated by Nell Stokes, an amazing woman in the Albany area. Uh, And Lacey, thanks so much.
8: Thanks for having me. And
1: this
7: is Bria Barthel for Hudson Mohawk Magazine.
1: And for more information on the Albany Institute of History and Art, Or their new exhibit, go to www.albanyinstitute.org.
0: And for those of you just tuning in, I'm seeing Basila-Hickey.
1: And I'm Callum McPherson. You're listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine on the Hudson Mohawk Radio Network. On WOOCLP 105.3 FM, Troy, WOOGLP 92.7 FM, Troy, WOSLP 98.9 FM, Schenectady, and WOALP 106.9 FM, Albany. And streaming online, of course, at mediasanctuary.org. This program comes from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York. And if you like what you hear, you can support this program by telling a friend, family member, your dog, your cat, whoever. Find today's stories and more at mediasanctuary.org. Sina, so take it away.
0: So the MPAC season has already begun the spring 2024 season. There have been, but there are still many fantastic events still coming up. And to help us get this overview, we are now joined by MPAC curator Catherine Adams. Welcome to Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Hi, Sina. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be on with you. Yeah, it's so wonderful. You've already had a few really fantastic events. I believe it was three. Um, And there's a season, a full season coming up. It's um before we get into some overview and because there's so many events we won't be able to touch on like all of them and give them the attention that we want, but first like is there a theme this season that you've noticed? Um, uh, is there yeah a theme or emerging? Uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess I'll just stick with themes. <laughs>
5: Sure. Yeah, I'm happy to touch on that. So there's no explicit theme, but I do think there are some kind of interesting common threads across some of the programs. Um, I've noticed a lot of artists, especially the ones that I'm working with, are thinking about ideas of like haunting. Like there's a program um, later in our season with a choreographer named Onye Ozuzu who's thinking about how like architecture haunts the body. And she's working with um, like digital media to explore how like a trace of a performing body might remain in the space. Very interesting multimedia work. Um, We have a couple of talks that kind of play on that idea. Um, So someone in Peli Grietzer is thinking about um, how um, AI might kind of tell us something about what art and poetry kind of give us in terms of meaning and kind of the way they construct a, a world unto themselves. Um, and he has played a lot with thinking about ideas of like a vibe, these kinds of like ambient aesthetics that we can't quite um, uh, explicitly name, but kind of stay with us, haunt us. So things like this. And there's there's other um, projects as well. Just quickly name like Lehia Lewis, A Plot of Scandal has a bit of that um and actually several projects kind of i think there's a little um yeah crossover in in that sense this kind of interest in like technology is something that like carries past presences um with it into the future
0: yeah the technology is such an interesting i think a lot of people are having that conversation and really looking yeah. at the complexity of it like it's not only good and it's not only bad um and so what does this look like and where Do we need to be critical and where can we really embrace it and see it also bringing accessibility to a lot of people? And um, uh, so an event that MPAC and the Sanctuary is collaborating on, which we're very, very excited about, is the Theogene Cut Hand um, event, which is one day at MPAC and one day at the Sanctuary. So I want to briefly touch upon that before we give the others a little bit of time.
5: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's going to be a great event, um, and as you kind of gesture towards, it emerges out of this collaboration, Eye Ear Presents, um, that is emerges from RPI and the arts department there, and then MPEC is a collaborator on that. So yeah, it's a great um, chance for us to kind of work with the sanctuary. Um, and the filmmaker that we're featuring is named Theo Jean Cuthend, and Theo is um, an Indigenous artist and is interested in things like kind of queerness, how queerness expresses itself. Um, he plays with an idea that he calls queer So some of his um, past films are about that. He's also quite interested in kind of um, forms of like eco- ecology and um, both in positive and negative forms as you were kind of you know talking about before thinking about extraction, but then also thinking about kind of like indigenous ecology um, in a future oriented way. Um, So at MPAC, that will be um, a screening and talk. And then, as you mentioned, the workshop at the sanctuary. One cool thing about Theo's practice is he also has done video games. So um, I believe that that may work itself into at least the workshop side and maybe also um, the MPAC as well,
0: MPAC event. So as one of the curators, what is your process of seeking artists um and what are some of the things that you look for in an artist? And I'd also love just like a little bit of your background in like as a curator.
5: Oh yeah, that's a great question. Thank you for asking. Um yeah, I mean, I always think Curating is such a multifaceted role. Um, I always think of it or like I like to say it's like a research-based practice. So in addition to like, you know, all the organizational stuff that like we do, um, I, I really think of myself and I think my colleagues as kind of like mediators. Like we work with production, but we also mediate to the artists, we we mediate to the public. Um, and then in terms of selecting projects, um, I am constantly plugging into like different artistic scenes. You know, I I do a lot of studio visits with artists. That's like a big research tool for me, like literally just like on the ground, like meeting people. Um, I try to see like see exhibitions, see performances, seeing things live is great. Um, And sometimes even if one doesn't like if I don't work with someone right away, it might start a relationship, et cetera. So that's kind of partly how I work is on the one hand, there's a lot of like in-person, like presence with artists. Um, and then in terms of discovering new people, it's it's always like a process. Um, sometimes it's serendipitous. Sometimes people reach out. Um, but in general, it's like a mix of kind of a more, let's say like not quite scholarly, but sort of like, you know, uh, almost bookish approach to research. And then that kind of more like hands-on kind of just being out and around and keeping like the antenna out for kind of new things. Um, And I think also, you know, I I always try to sort of have a nice, like broad array of types of projects. So, um, you know, I look for like, um, I I think about a seat, like composing a season, you know, like getting a different range of of approaches, different um, perspectives. And sometimes those might clash with each other, which I think is always interesting. So like people can see, one project where an artist is critical something and then in another they you know a different artist might kind of use that technology technology in a more like affirming way you know things like this um my personal background is more um it's primarily in like the visual arts but I also have always had a strong interest in performance and dance and um, I personally trained as a dancer for many years so I have like that you know personal connection so I my, a lot of my programming focuses, um, in those two areas right now.
0: So these, the, we were kind of going over, is just the range of things. And I, I want to touch on the experience of visiting MPAC and seeing these performances there. What are the different types of experiences that a visitor might have?
5: Mm, that is a great question. Um, I mean, we present a huge range of projects. Um, so, and it's it's hard to generalize, actually, because part of what we always try to do is to really like, you know, play around and experiment with formats. So, um, you know, oftentimes in general, you know, we work by venue. So like when we bring an artist in, they're interested in working in a specific venue. Um, oftentimes, audiences will see the outcome of what is actually a longer production residency. So you may see that either as a work in progress, which gives you kind of a window into an artist's process, a little window into that production stuff that is often not so public at MPAC, or you may see something that you know is just kind of a one-night event where we're bringing someone in um, from outside of um, of the area um, apart from production. So it's it's um, it's very hard to sort of give a. Um, a, a format, again, just because we, you know, we do many, many different kinds of projects. But I'd say that um, our sort of big uh, focus is really to, um, you know, um, mediate that production work through the public program. So that stuff that, you know, feels a little like esoteric or like it's not, you know, people don't know what's going on. The events are kind of where a lot of that gets gets through and and you can kind of see a little more of like what's been going on. While we haven't had um, events, yeah.
0: So we have about two minutes left. Are there some other events that we didn't get to touch upon that you would like to highlight?
5: Yeah. Well, I think one one I'd love to mention um, in a briefly in more detail is the Lihia Lewis project. So that's a big dance work that's showing um, in February, um, February sixteenth and seventeenth. Um, so that's about a month away. Um, he is an amazing performer. She's a really kind of um, experimental uh, mover. So she's a choreographer, but also very kind of theatrical. Great sense of staging. And that'll be a great piece to see. It's very rare, actually, to see her in the US these days. So we're really excited to have her. Um, and while we're here, I'll maybe just mention a couple events we have this week, too. So we have a couple of talks happening um, tomorrow and
0: uh, Thursday. And this One. will rebroadcast on Wednesday morning. So it's at Wednesday night.
5: Oh, okay. Thank you for that. Yes. So that'll be, I guess, tonight and then tomorrow for those listening live. Um, and Marina, uh, the first talk on on the 24th, Wednesday, is Marina Rosenfeld, who will be sharing a bit about her residency work with us. She's doing some production now. Um, she works between sound and visual arts. And then um, the, the day after that, on the 20, um twenty fifth will be um a performance studies scholar who is thinking about um movement and the ways in which um dance works and choreography might kind of resist time like and playing around with what what that might mean and and how artists think about time um within movement practice.
0: What a wonderful program you have coming up um Thank you Might be hard to memorize this. So where is the best way to get the most up-to-date information on what's coming to MPAC?
5: Great question. So our website is great. Um, And I'll just, uh, that's MPAC, uh, E-M-P-A-C dot R-P-I dot E-D-U. You can see our full range of programs. In addition to our kind of like curatorial projects, you'll see campus, you'll see research, um, and all of that is generally fully open um, and then we also have like um Instagram if if you're on there, so you can follow our social media page. Um I think it's same MPAC, you know, underscore RPI. So those are a couple ways and newsletter also, so you can find us on a few um different formats.
0: Catherine Adams, what a pleasure to have you. And I hope that you'll come back to share a little bit more in depth about some of this incredible programming that is coming to MPAC. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I would love to come back in the future too. Well, thank, thank you. you so much. Have a great rest of the day. Thanks,
1: you too. Moving on to our fourth segment, comedian Louis Katz talks with Brad Monkel about his upcoming show at the Lark Street Tavern on Sunday, February 4th, as well as his new comedy special, Present Slash Tense. Brad Monkel sat down with Louis Katz to learn more about his upcoming show and what he's been up to.
9: All right, well, thanks for being on the show with me, Louie, it's good to talk to you again. Um, f- for audience members who haven't heard, Louie is going to be in Albany at the uh, Lark Street Tavern on February 4th. I'm very excited to uh, talk to him about his new special on YouTube called Present Tense, which, along with his recent appearance on the number one live podcast, Kill Tony, uh, both videos are approaching a million views, and I'm excited to see it. I'm, uh, I've been a big fan for years, so... Welcome to the show, Louis, and thank you for being here. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I'm I'm excited to do the show, and yeah, it's uh, it's big things
4: happening lately. You know, the special, like you said, is about to hit a million, and uh and uh the feedback's been good. You know, you expect people to say mean, horrible things on YouTube for comments,
9: but you'd be surprised. People are actually legitimately into the special, so I'm pretty happy about that. Yeah, man. Well, I'm I'm not surprised. Your uh, last two albums were killer, and uh, thank you. I think it's about time you threw some some video up to your uh what's what's the what's it called uh this can't be happening or is that the right name this is not happening yes. this is that have that one it's it's a long-form story it's about 20 minutes and that's a, that's a video online too but unfortunately that was to, for comedy central so it wasn't um you know it wasn't attached to my site yeah so people really love that it has like almost three million views but uh but it just gets comedy central more followers and not me so this one i did on my own yeah i mean i love a good comedy album that's just audio but it's like i said it's nice to see if uh the special finally out and i'm really excited that you're coming to albany um and you know you've you've i've seen you open for a tell in albany before and uh you know i've, I've interviewed you before and you seem to be pretty open to albany but Albany's the butt of a lot of jokes and i hope i hope you can leave with you know a uh, a positive attitude about Albany But I guess on a related note I was curious if there's any Markets around the country that were Particularly disappointing for you Well I don't know I mean
4: Everyone says Albany's beautiful in January So I'm sure <laughs> 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 uh, I, mean, I look forward to the, the, the uh, uh, Bringing a little, a little Light to the bleakness That's <laughs> happening in <laughs> January But um I don't know. I mean, you know, you you know, you'd be surprised. It depends. It depends how it's marketed. You know, is kind of, and I, you know, you there's cool people everywhere, which is really one of the best things to, when you see you touring. I'm not just saying that. You know, it, the country seems very divided, and there's people that are have all different kinds of viewpoints in all different parts of the country, and people that are open to all different things. That being said, I, I think that. Um,
8: uh, Phoenix, and Arizona. Arizona's like uh, the Florida of the desert. Is really it's <laughs> it's, uh, it's like they traded Cubans for Mexicans, and uh, which I love both
9: of them, but I'm just saying that's the difference. <laughs> and and there's less Jews. And, uh, um, it's Florida if they needed the water level to rise. Yes, yes. Yeah, exactly.
4: It's, uh, um, I mean, and also I prefer Mexican food to Cuban food, so
9: that maybe is a step up for that. But
2: besides
4: that, there's a very... Um, There's a uh, Floridian uh, weird, hot douchiness to Arizona that it shares with Florida, I would say. (laughs) But there's some cool stuff there, just like there's everywhere. So maybe that's, that's just a place that I noticed. I didn't realize that about it last time I was there. And this time, last time I went, I was like, uh, it's
9: got some Florida vibes Yeah You know, I'm, again, I'm excited that you're coming to Albany um, You're right, it is bleak in January But hopefully uh, hopefully, it's a good time for you I'm curious to know like what you'll be talking about Because your last special uh, Congratulations again on uh, your recent marriage um, Thank you But you've, as you've pointed out in some podcasts It's kind of awkward because a lot of Present Tense Which was filmed, uh, what is it, almost two years ago now? Yeah, almost, yeah. It's a lot of material about um, being single and about being underrated before you had a special Approaching a Million Views, so how is the new material differing? Are there any, like, particular themes that are coming up a lot in your new material?
4: Um, Well, yeah, a lot of it's about, it is
9: about, I just got married in in, uh, in July, so even,
4: um, um, so, so last July, so uh, that's new, there's a lot about marriage. (laughs) <laughs> excuse me there's a lot about my um my uh it's kind of about i would say it's about me kind of like finally growing up very late in life and also dealing with my parents aging at the same time and maybe that's forcing me to uh to grow up a little bit if i had to say those things i say mostly it's like uh yeah just trying to trying to get a, a handle on on adult life and uh in various forms um and I, I think the last hour was it's very funny but it's it's basically like present tense is like a it's a breakup special. It's, it's it was filmed. Uh, it's all material based on a breakup that was already a couple years old due to the pandemic when I filmed it. And it's kind of cynical,
9: and maybe the new hour isn't as cynical as the other one. It's a little maybe less dark. Yeah. So despite the darkness, you know, I it was very silly, <laughs> which you're very good at doing with dark subjects. So um, oh, I enjoyed it a lot, and uh, you know, I'm excited to keep hearing the new jokes. i Do you feel like? Um, since that special, are there any new milestones you feel like you've reached or new things you've realized about comedy? Oh, that's the, that's what I love about it is that I just keep growing and
4: keep learning things. And that's, that's, it's really amazing. Like you think you figure things out and there's still more to go. Um, so what I I'm, just I'm kind of like, uh, I think my performance skill has gotten better since that taping. I think I'm just a better performer. I'm more in the moment when I'm on stage. I think I realized that, um, for a lot of years, this is getting very technical, but like uh, for a lot of years, I would kind of like if the audience wasn't laughing, I'd kind of like push the audience to laugh by by delivering my jokes a little bit faster. And uh, I think that's a mistake. I think that subconsciously signals a little bit of nervousness to the crowd. And uh, it's all about like staying in the pocket and just like creating my own time and uh, and uh, letting the crowd come to me, if that makes sense. You know. So I, I, I'm like uh, I think my my pacing is a little more
9: just slightly more late love that. Yeah, yeah. No, I feel yeah, I'll definitely have like a tape that I listen back to sometimes where I I hear myself like like your voice cracks a little bit or something where you're like I got a little too excited trying to keep them on the hook. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't totally know what you mean. Um Now, I I guess as the the state of comedy goes right now with the, all the other specials that are coming out, are there any, like, big trends that you're noticing? I mean, people, like, talk about certain trends, like everything's crowd work on Instagram now. I mean, is there anything that you think sticks out to you or anything that's maybe people kind of overhype? Well, I think the, it does seem
4: like the crowd work thing, there's almost like a backlash to that by now that people know it's kind of like we don't like it, and there's a reason why, because it's kind of the same jokes over and over. It's not as magical as people think it is. It's a trick. Um I, and it's, and unless it's done really, really well, and when it's done incredibly well, it's it's mind blowing. Like when that, David Tell does it, it's it's yeah. it's uh it's really a sight to see. But most of the time, it's not on David Tell's level because he's one guy. Um, uh, but what I mean, the real transition, like you said, like the YouTube special. I'm just so glad that mine like caught got some traction because it's hard. There's so much competition now. Everyone's putting out their own specials, and you know, to me, the real question is, how long can this go on for? Like, what is what is the uh, what are the returns on this? You know, it's like I, I paid for the special out of pocket, right? You know, and, and it's close to a million views, but I'm not anywhere near um, even making my money back yet. Yeah. And so, to me, the question is, where do we go from here? Like, are we just gonna keep putting things out for free for people? It's like a little bit. We kind of shot ourselves in the foot, comedians, by uh, shot ourselves in the feet. I guess so lot, that's plural, uh, as comedians, like gotten audiences trained to get stuff for free, you know, and you can't not can't come back from that. Uh, I'm just a little bit worried about that. Like, I don't know how many more times I'm going to just keep investing into this, you know, and, and, and if, I don't know if the returns are going to be high enough, so we'll see.
9: Well, yeah, I mean, doing, uh, you know, it's coming from a background of music. Everyone is so, like, uh, up in arms against streaming, and it's a beautiful thing for learning about music. It's beautiful to be able to just pull up all of this music I couldn't when I was younger, but, um, I don't really even know how to feel about what, what's, you know, obviously I think people should be paid more, but I don't know what that looks like in a concrete way, you know? Um, but, um, whatever, you know, whatever it is, I, uh, I'm interested to see what comes out next. I'm excited to see your set, uh, when you're here in Albany on... February fourth, uh, at the Lark Tavern, and uh, once again for everyone, the uh, your new special is called Present Tense on YouTube. And uh, is there uh, anywhere else you want uh, people to check you out? Maybe your website or your Instagram handle or anything like that. Yeah, the, the Instagram handle is at uh, Louis Katz Comedy. That's
4: L O U I S K A T Z com. and the website's louiskatz.com. And yeah, check out uh, check
9: out my past videos, check out the special, and I hope to see you at the, at the Lark Tavern. Yeah, man, thank you again. I'm going to um, throw it back to Kalen now, but appreciate your time. Thanks for
0: having me. For more local, or that is a weekly comedian highlight that we have on our program by Brad Monkel. And you can hear more comedians at mediasanctuary.org.
1: Tom Francis introduces us to a poet, community leader, and performance artist, L who hosts Cafe Euphoria, Poetry Slam, and open mic twice a month in Troy.
6: Elle is a New Jersey native living and loving in the capital region of New York. They are a poet, community leader, performance artist, hot gal, professional ad-libber, and fashion icon whose life goal is to kick butt and craft meaningful art. You can catch them every first and third Friday at 7 p.m., hosting Slam Euphoria's open mic and poetry slam at Cafe Euphoria in Troy, New York. Elle was one of the featured poets at the Hudson Valley Writers Guild year-in-review reading at Mocha Lisa's Cafe in Clifton Park on December 2nd, 2023.
10: The poem starts casual. A pop culture reference, it's giving, a metaphor, and simile vibes. Throw in a poetry slam stereotype for the culture. A call back to forgotten nostalgia. Do you remember the last time a poem had you tucked this tightly into its tail? The poem is urgent. The soapbox is over too soon. So the poet prepares to make the poem matter after the lights fade. The poet writes all they wish they could say in the mundane puddles away the words like rainwater spits the gifts in the mirror, mirroring the sea of seats, seating imaginary faces facing the stage. Set up, set up. The poet's last edits, edited tightly with care, wraps in the essence of my skin and tissue, transformed to page. even comes with a hook for you to take to your home. Hang its philosophy in the photo frames of your mind. The poem, a shared memory, but, what is this poem? Who is this poet? This poet says, poetry is a reflection of what you believe is necessary to inject into a listening body. Can you empathize with me? Can I pen a pad and have you feel the ache in my feet, the stress in the joints of my hands, the synapses surrounding my spiraling brains, packed to paper plane, its religion rides the airwaves. This poem is leftism. Hedonism, atheism, rejection of magical thinking, this poet lives in reality, resentful of the evolution of humanity has made me a misanthrope aging gracefully. The poet is a liar. Can you hear the hope in my heart? The longing for more than suffering, the poet, a body begging for a society worthy, for a species worthy of a continuing society. So the poet says, be kind to your neighbors, for there is nothing that feeds humanity like community. The poet says, live your life like you will live to see liberation. The poet says, love recklessly and dangerously. The poet says, we can all exist all at once on a plentiful earth. Prosperity is promised if you praise it holistically. The poet says, decapitate bigotry anywhere it rears its ugly head. Even if it's your own or your role, keep fighting for a better reality before entropy completes its journey through this galaxy. This poet pleads on every stage I grace for someone to see me and make a mark more meaningful than an inked paper crafted after a patient poet whose poem is finished. The poet is left ruminating on another plea for listening than years. Did the poem speak the poet will never know, but you will. So please, make the poem matter for me. Um, I often write a lot of poems about, that are in Spanish or in different languages um, or told in different ways. And that has to do with who I am as a person and my family. I try not to tell my family about bad days. I know my father will tell my mother during the commercials between segments of Game of Thrones. Her throat coated by the burdens of her children, she will tell my abuela in passing conversations sobre etajeros y telenovelas as the sun falls over the plátanos on her dining room table. My abuela will tell my tíos while they drink coronas and dance chpa- bachata, dwelling on the days when they still moved suavemente. Dios will tell my tías, spilling drops of wine from their shaking glasses. Rumbling laughter regressing after they finish cracking on my other cousins, who will overhear from under the staircase, gossiping about folks they don't know. They will tell my sister, on breaks slipping pad thai while she daydreams of the night ahead. Her horizons endless, she will tell my brother, playing video games in the basement, defeat sighs into palms that begat him his losses, he will tell my aunties. Drinking scotch, singing soca, waiting for the skyline to break into dawn, they will tell my uncles, on their hotel yelling over breaks and conversations with one one another in agreement that black kings will reign again as they tell my grandmother's grave. She lays patiently still engaged in the family debate overheard by the block, who will scream loud enough to find me, it will tell me about myself, listen to my cries and say nothing. Amidst rumination over my family. Bitter their mouths, a lively ocean, while I sit longing for a quiet dinner where we all mind our own business. Before my regretful stew can bubble into a full kitchen mess, they will call, They will all call to make sure I'm okay. Send me bandages made from what I am missing at no other cost than secrecy. It is on those days I am reminded my stories may travel between universes, but in every timeline, someone arrives with a hug and an open ear. They will not apologize for our lineage. I will never expect them to. I will be grateful. Quietly cook some food with my mother on speakerphone, preparing to listen to our news.
11: Taking in my body like it's holy. I've been praying for you for this holy week. I've been waiting for you, you're my Sunday. Andy, slowly taking and eat my body like it's holy. I've been praying for you for this whole week. I've been waiting for you. You're my Sunday. Andy, come on in this house, cause it's gonna rain off. Oh. Rain down die young, it's cold rain.
10: Another friend dies, seven in the past three years. My mom asks if I am afraid to die young. If I fear cosmic certainty predelegated to me, not really. I know I cannot make an honest woman out of destiny, she promises nothing but an unpredictable joy ride I will enjoy in kind besides. I've been thinking of the first Ferris wheel, how a college physics experiment turned into a decade-old childhood classic, how our time is math and memory, our experiences, qualitative and quantitative, the average life expectancy in the US is 76. Six of my friends died under 30 their time, a fraction of a life deserved, divided by circumstances unkind to lost graces, yet I am defined by their guidance, changed by the lineage of their life, experiencing, life experience, meeting me, experiencing life intertwined in impactful memories that live on in my living body. Who's to say that alone is not eternal? My mom asks me how I'm coping. I say you gotta do it slowly, taking me my body like
11: it's holy. I've been praying for you for this whole week. I've been waiting for you, you're my Sunday candy. Come on in this house, cause it's gonna rain, Lord. I am, it's
10: gonna
11: rain,
10: and let it rain, let it flood. For I have been thinking about supernovas. How the energy can spread as fast as wildfire collapses like a match into water. How we never see them, yet we know of their impact in the remaining light they leave in the night sky. Their stories still unfolding light years beyond their decaying body. I do not believe in a God. I do not believe in an afterlife. I will never see my friends again. And yet, they await your ears. I write so you know what it was like to know them. Blessings, too perfect to be miracles. Our unions, an explosive chain reaction, not even time can truly extinguish us. Our composition is never more than physical. Our memories are an ever expanding collection. This poem, a living document, a reminder that we were real even when we are gone.
6: Elle will be competing at the Women of the World Poetry Slam in Baltimore at the end of March. For more information on the slam, Cafe Euphoria, and how you can help Elle get to Maryland, go to Instagram.com slash Slam Euphoria 518. For Hudson Mohawk Magazine, I'm Tom Francis.
0: And Tom Francis brings us some poetry spotlights every week. That's Tuesday nights and Wednesday mornings. You can find more of those, as well as other poets, by other producers at our website, mediasanctuary.org. And that is our show. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. I'm Sina bazila
1: I'm Kiel McPherson, also your engineer today. We want to thank all our volunteers who made today's episodes possible. Mark Dunley, Bria Barthel, Brad Moncal, Tom Francis, and your co-hosts. Sina Bazilla-Hickey, and Kaylin McPherson. This program covers stories of social and environmental justice produced by the community, for the community, and is supported by independent donations. If you value independent media, consider a gift of a monthly donation as a sanctuary sustainer by going to mediasanctuary.org.
0: We want to hear from you. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Hudson Mohawk Mag, or send us an email to hmm at mediasanctuary.org. Tune in weekdays at 7 a.m., 9 a.m., and 6 p.m. to hear local news or stream Sanctuary Radio at mediasanctuary.org. Full episodes and individual stories are available on demand at our website and on your favorite podcast platform. We appreciate our listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in.